You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. It's a cruel paradox of the COVID-19 pandemic. Many of the communities that have been the most heavily impacted are also among the very hardest to reach for health officials. I'm Keith Menconi. This is KCBS In-Depth. And today on the program, we turn our focus to the health crisis facing the Bay Area's Latino community and the local organizers who have stepped up to provide support. Every day we receive the call. If this is going to help, that's good for while I'm doing it. Specifically, we're going to be zeroing in on the community effort in the predominantly Latino neighborhood of East San Jose. While, of course, uh, communities have been waging their battles with this pandemic up and down the state, this is one spot where there's just an awful lot to talk about, uh, especially recently. So to tell us all about it, we are joined now by two people deeply involved in that community effort. Uh, first up, we're going to be welcoming onto the program Jacqueline Franco. She is a co-founder of Meta. It's a worker-owned cooperative in East San Jose. Uh, welcome to the program, Jacqueline Franco. Hi, Keith. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. And up next, uh, welcoming as well, Saul Ramos. He is the deputy director of Somos Mayfair. It's the second East San Jose community group we're going to be hearing about today. Uh, Welcome to the program to you as well, Saul Ramos. Thank you very much, Keith. Happy to be here as well. All right. So uh, let's start with uh, you, Jacqueline Franco, hoping you could tell us a little bit about or provide some perspective on the scale of this public health crisis facing the Latino community right now. Uh, Just to throw a couple of numbers into the mix uh, statewide, Latinos account for nearly 60 percent of COVID-19 cases, even though demographically they only make up about 40 percent of the population. So obviously taking an outsized share of the COVID-19 burden right now, Uh, And the figures within San Jose are much the same. Uh, So uh, what can you tell us from your perspective about how this pandemic is shaping up and and how much this is shaping the lives of the people in the communities that you work with? Yeah, um, I think it's not just the numbers that you just covered, but even if you visit these neighborhoods, I think it's very visible. Um, uh, Our Latino population are essential workers, the majority of them. And so they are at risk, at higher risk of being exposed than other people or other other uh, ethnic groups. Um, and I would say just being out in the field, um, it's really devastating seeing your neighbors, um, people your children go to school with, right? You're like classmates um, and seeing how hard it's hit. Um, it's really close to home, really close to home for a lot of us that are out here doing these efforts. And so I think that makes us push harder to to better support and help our community. Right. And so you mentioned one aspect that's uh, making this spread more widely within the the Latino community, that being the fact that a lot of folks are uh, essential workers, so they're not able to shelter in place. They're out uh, in harm's way, essentially, uh, each and uh, every day just uh, uh, for the sake of making a living. Um, uh, but then uh, there's, there's other aspects as well, the fact that uh, a lot of folks are living in uh, somewhat cramped spaces, multifamily dwellings, living with uh, several people under one roof. So again, 
difficult to shelter in place uh, when you have uh, many people living close together. And uh, that's really made for a really especially cruel aspect of, of this, that uh, COVID-19 is spreading within families and really uh, devastating individual families to, to a really horrifying degree. Yeah, I mean, the it's no um, surprise that we have a high cost of living in Santa Clara County, especially in San Jose. And so families for a very long time now have been living in crowded homes. Um, we have families who live in one bedrooms, um, living rooms or rent out garages. And so um, if one of them gets COVID, uh, it's really hard and difficult for them to self-isolate. And so essentially they're coming home, exposing the whole family and not just their own family, but the families that live and they share the homes with. Yeah. So uh, a, a lot of challenges that people are facing. And I actually want to dispel one potential myth that uh, some people may be bringing to this conversation, the idea that uh, compliance to these health orders may be different in the one population versus another. There was actually a, a researcher at UC Merced that uh, looked at this question, and uh, she found uh, similar compliance across all ethnic groups uh, in California. So it's it's really not a question of who's following the rules uh, most closely. It's a, It's a question of life circumstances, most of all. Uh, is, is that what you're seeing? Definitely. Um, I say it all the time. We've been hearing a lot of self-blaming within the community, like, oh, it's my neighbor. It's probably these people that are having parties. But essentially, it that number is very low. People that we've known ha- who have gotten impacted by COVID or have gotten COVID um, have been either through work, have been through someone who they live with. Um, so it, I definitely don't think that the biggest issue here is compliance. I think it's the circumstances in which people live. Um, Like we said, crowded housing and then work, right? People have to work to make a living and it's a priority to pay their rent and feed their homes. Yeah. All right. So uh, we've laid out so far uh, a number of challenges that folks in East San Jose are facing. Let's take to, uh, the broader picture of how community groups are responding to all this. Uh, we've been hearing so far from Jacqueline Franco with Meta. Let's turn our attention now to uh, Saul Ramos, once again with Somos Mayfair. Uh, Saul Ramos, it sounds like there are uh, just a, a whole lot of community groups that have really uh, stepped up to the plate uh, over the last uh, many, many months, many of them uh, organizing under the banner of uh, the CSA Puede Collective. What can you tell us about what that effort has looked like and, and ha- how it got going earlier this year? Yes, Keith, thank you. Uh, yeah, the Cisa Puede Collective is a group of five organizations in East San Jose. Somos Mayfair is one of them, but uh, we also have Amigos de Guadalupe, Grail Family Services, the School of Arts and Culture, the Mexican Heritage Plaza, and Vigilution uh, as part of the collective as well. And what we're doing, we're working together, leveraging resources and the trust that we have in community in our in, in our services, what we've been able to to do for for many many years to uh, now respond and pivot um, uh, again, you know, really using um, the, the 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 trust that we've been uh, building over the years to provide not only the community with with resources and and and, and, and opportunities to connect uh, to uh, county or city additional services, but to respond in in this community and organize ourselves and and in really launch uh, an education and outreach effort um, that, that, that is rooted in community that is coming from people like Jackie and that it's informed by, by the community itself. And uh, sticking with you, Saul Ramos, was there a moment in the spring when this pandemic was gathering force where folks kind of looked at each other and, and made that realization that this is something where, you know, a, an outsized effort was, was required to meet this moment? 
Disease Abuela Collective has, has been, um, has existed for, for about five years. So we've been working together very closely. So when COVID hit, we knew that we needed to step up and we needed to pivot. Um, so it didn't take long for the collective to come together and, and really, um, again, leveraging our resources, put together a, a campaign in partnership with uh, uh, Santa Clara County, specifically with the Department of Public Health, and, and really deploy our community workers, our promotores, who've been part of this community and, and part of the fabric of this community. And, and, and let's take a quick second to define that term, uh, promotores. Yes, these are peer uh, or peer-to-peer educators. Um, they have a history in, in some of the uh, movements in Latin America and other parts of the world and, and really deploying and, 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 and going to communities that don't have adequate access to medical need or health care. And, and, and members from the community have taken upon themselves to take education, take resources and educate themselves. So through the effort, that's what through the similar effort, that's what you've been um, uh, um, really uh, informing and, and educating and, and organizing with the community. To be honest, right, and uh, I think that that's going to be a theme throughout this conversation. The fact that a lot of what we're seeing right now is the fruits of efforts that go back a long times and uh, building on past uh, community organizing efforts. Uh, Want to uh, make a uh, reintroduce everybody and uh, real quick, just uh, remind anybody who might just be joining us that this is KCBS In Depth, a weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, uh, we're discussing the East San Jose community advocates helping to stop the spread of COVID-19 in the Latino community. Joining us once again is Jacqueline Franco, a co-founder of the East San Jose cooperative Meta, as as well as Saul Ramos, a deputy director of Somos Mayfair. So uh, you brought up the term of uh, promotoras a second ago. Uh, Jacqueline Franco, that is sort of your bread and butter. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what that work has looked like uh, since the pandemic began, obviously, there's been a lot of community health work, uh, health education uh, that's uh, been going back for, for some time. How, how has that work changed uh, in the face of uh, a real genuine health crisis? Yeah, I mean, uh, like Saul explained, a lot of us have been doing this work and have been serving our community for a long time um, through other ways, organizing, talking about school education, talking about parenting classes. Um, and so when COVID hit, the need for us to get educated on COVID, what it was, how do we take care of our families? Um, how do we take care of our community, right? And what do we need as a, as a community to survive this pandemic? Um, I think it just came up and, you know, who better to then spread that out and get that information to other people in our community than us, because we have those ties and those relationships already um, and that trust built. Uh, and so the education process where the county, um, uh, the public health department came in uh, and did trainings with us, uh, everything from what COVID was, how it, you know, came to be, how it spreads, what masks to use, um, even to, you know, the impacts of like after COVID, what might happen, the symptoms. Um, and then, then you know, kind of us, us as a team deploying out into areas in our neighborhood where we know um, there's been a lot of cases of COVID and educating people and providing them with resources and PPE. Um, that's kind of the shift that we've, we've moved into now. All right. And uh, let's highlight one of the recent efforts that's uh, gotten off the ground. Uh, one of the one of the novel 
responses to the pandemic that has been taking shape in recent weeks in East San Jose has been this door-to-door COVID testing program. Tell us a little bit about that. I, I, I feel anybody who hasn't been paying close attention to the news in the last couple of weeks uh, probably missed this one. Yeah, we're really excited for this, especially because we know the need that there is in our community. So within, I think, a week, um, yeah, a couple weeks ago, um, we had started kind of really mapping out um, what areas in San Jose, especially East San Jose, have been heavily impacted, but mo- also most recently um, cases of people with positive test results um, to really kind of have an idea of where we were going to send our promotoras out to. Um, because, you know, once you, a person in one household is positive, then that the risk for the rest of the family to come out positive is higher. Um, and then also using the help of um, the other departments within Santa Clara, like the contact tracers to to then have them build a relationship with those families to make sure that they know what steps are next for isolation, resources, and quarantine. So that's a general strategy, but we have had a really, really good uh, reaction from the community. Most households we've knocked on are more than happy that we're there because they have a need, a great need to take these these tests. And um, whether it's because of transportation or they have kids or, you know, they've tried to make an appointment. And since the appointments have been really impacted lately, they just couldn't get an appointment um, recently. They've been really excited to have us there. And just just so to make sure that everybody listening can picture exactly what we're talking about. So these are self-administered COVID tests that uh, it's not the promotoras that are administering the test. They're just overseeing these residents, uh, administering the tests to themselves. Uh, and it's it's also been an opportunity, I understand, to uh, be kind of a, a, a teachable exp- a moment uh, to pr- provide some of this uh, medical information to perhaps some people that uh, hadn't had the opportunity to get it before. Yeah, I think we I think the, the whole point is once we get there, give them every information, every bit of knowledge that we have so that it's not like, oh, we'll get back to you later. It's we're here to give you the test. Would you like to get tested? Who's in your family? OK, um, has anyone been positive? Do you know that there's resources? Oh, do you know that? You know, this is how you're supposed to take care of yourself. It's everything that we got. Um, and I think most importantly, building a relationship with them so that if something if something is not being followed through, they have the trust enough to let us know, like, I need more. Community needs more. We need better resources. And so um, and then a lot of them have been already. We've been to houses where they've been isolating already for a while. And so this is the first interaction that they've had with people. And so. They're a little bit nervous, but they're also happy because they feel like they're, you know, they're not alone and they aren't alone. And that's a commu- that's a message we want to get out to communities that they're not alone. We're all in this together. Yeah, it's a really important message to get out to everybody right now. Uh, I want to remind listeners, we are speaking to Jacqueline Franco, who we just heard from a second ago, as well as Saul Ramos. And uh, we're talking about the importance of those community connections as we meet some of these pandemic challenges, uh, especially in communities that face barriers of uh, language and trust, uh, separating them from uh, many of the uh, health authorities that are, are, are trying to reach out these days. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper right now into exactly how those community ties have been operating and why they've been so important. And to get a better picture of how that's been working out, I actually spoke earlier this week to uh, two promotoras who have been doing some of this outreach over the last uh, several weeks, uh, and including these uh, uh, these door-to-door testing that we've been speaking about as well. Again, these are promotoras with Meta, the co-op group in East San Jose. So let's meet those two promotoras. Actually, I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. 
My name is Imelda Bautista and I am part of the finance committee. My name is Maribel Ruiz and I'm part of Meta and Promotor as well. So as we've been discussing, this outreach program bringing door-to-door testing to residents in East San Jose, it's been ongoing for a couple of weeks now. Pretty novel concept for everybody. Uh, and uh, of course, challenges, you know, showing up to strangers' doors, you're not always going to get to yes every single time. But these promotors tell me that their renown is growing pretty fast and uh, more and more people are recognizing who they are. The last week, ma'am said, uh, oh, really? You are there? Yes. <laughs> I saw you on the news the last week, and now you are in my house. <laughs> you are, this is really... <laughs> yes, yes, of course. You guys are getting famous. <laughs> and that extra shot of notoriety is helping to make their jobs a little bit easier. <laughs> Even they called the other neighbor, hey, do you want to take the test? There are the promo- <laughs> promotoras here. What about if they go to their house? It's wow. very helpful. How, how big of a problem for some people do you think their immigration status is? Of course, they are worried about what is going to happen if they know I'm, I'm not uh, a documented people. I'm from another country and I had no legal paper to be here. So I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to expose myself. Yeah. But what is going to happen? I'm going to get sick. Yeah. I had no insurance. I had nothing. What is going to happen? Even worse and worse and worse. So that's why we, we think educating our people is going to be the best. Because even though if they don't want me to do the test, that's fine. But at least they, they hear me. But at least they listen what I'm saying. Yeah. It's the only hope I can, I can do. But I cannot push them. I cannot, you know. Yeah. But I'm trying. I'm trying to let them know. So when, when, you, when you meet somebody who's really uh, afraid about their immigration status and maybe like you have the feeling that they wouldn't want to get a test or they wouldn't want to get any help, how do you reassure them? And we have a, uh, the biggest key for our work. <laughs> and this is, for some people, it's a secret, but for us, it's just a normal life. How can I show you that you can trust me? Because it's my my own life, my simple. I can I can tell you. Let me see. I'm gonna tell you something about my life. I'm gonna tell you something in my family. I'm gonna tell you my truth. If you don't believe it, fine. But I'm here from the community and your neighbor. I live in the next door. I live in the, the, uh, two blocks from here. Because the other day I was around my house. And I said to one lady, lady, look at me, I'm from your neighborhood. I live in that house right there, two blocks, one block and a half right here. And she says, okay, wait a minute, I'm gonna call my son and my daughter. It's free, yes, it's free, okay. And we were speaking there with Imelda Bautista and Maribel Ruiz, uh, two community outreach workers with the Meta Co-op in East San Jose. Uh, if you're just joining us, I want to remind you that this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Today, barriers of language, barriers of trust. We're discussing how community activists are working to break them down as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to take a harrowing toll on the Bay Area's Latino community. 
Uh, joining us for that conversation is Jacqueline Franco, a co-founder of East San Jose Cooperative Meta, as well as Saul Ramos, Deputy Director of Somos Mayfair. And uh, uh, Jacqueline Franco, I saw you smiling along to some of that. Uh, I imagine, you know, on the one hand, this is obviously very serious work with deadly consequences. But on the other hand, uh, it must also be nice in some sense to be able to connect with uh, folks in your community. Yeah, definitely. I think, like I mentioned before, a lot of us are feeling very lonely, very vulnerable right now. And so um, it's nice to hear people who, you know, will say, you know, I'm happy that I'm, I'm getting this because, you know, I wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. And so providing that for them, but also I think fighting for more, right? Like hearing, you know, that they're grateful for what we're doing. But then also, you know, kind of bringing it back and being their advocate for them when we are in meetings, when we are strategizing, you know, like this is good, but it could be better. And so um, always, I think um, I love hearing because truly that is what we're doing. It's not just, you know, providing tests to people and then that's it. They're really connecting with them and then going out of our way more to advocate for more for our community. Give us a sense of the isolation that some people are facing. You know, if if there is that language barrier, if there is um, a mobility barrier too. I mean, uh, they were telling me that uh, oftentimes it's uh, it's older people that are needing this help. It's uh, people that are wheelchair bound that are needing this help. So, uh, folks that are, are are having trouble connecting with the outside world, help us understand uh, what they're up against right now and uh, why it is so important to have somebody take the step to meet them where they are. Yeah, we've had, I mean, definitely, I think we've been um, having requests from people who are like in wheelchairs, can't drive. But I also, I'm seeing a lot of like single mothers with older, you know, with their kids. And so having to go and wait in line for them to get tested, maybe like an hour or so, is just like impossible. Yeah. Um, and then also the fear, right? Like, I, you know, I don't understand, you know, I don't understand the process. I've heard them, you know, there's people there who speak my language sort of, but I, I don't understand like what they're telling me. And so, um, you know, coming to their doorstep and being like, we speak Spanish. I, I, I understand. Don't worry. Talk to me in your language and I'll understand your questions and I'll respond in your language as well. Um, has been really, really, um, helpful. Yeah, I'm sure that makes a huge difference. Um, all right. Well, we uh, only have a few minutes left, but I want to turn things over to uh, Saul Ramos once again with uh, Somos Mayfair. And uh, curious for your thoughts on uh, this. This is just a slow moving health crisis, a, a slow moving disaster that we're all facing. And as we go through the the, the peaks of uh, this crisis right now, what are you watching out for? What are you what's keeping you up at night uh, about what this could all mean for uh, the community that you're looking after? Yes, I think, you know, we, we are really worried about the ongoing impact. What um, Jackie is describing in the isolation that we have seen um, and the economic impact, it, it is real. And you walk through this neighborhood and you see it. I think what we have to understand about COVID is that it has exposed and actually compounded as well decades of a broken healthcare system. Uh, it has really exposed um, the uh unjust um, um, uh, access to very specific services. And, you know, these are systemic issues that we need to address. We really need to improve our healthcare. We really need to make sure that we fix our immigration law. Mm. We really need to think about how do we pay our employees and how do we support um, um, uh, their success and their mobility in, in, in such an expensive area. And of course, I think, you know, what we all have been seeing, uh, gentrification and the lack of housing. So what we are seeing right now, and I think, you know, the 
where we're heading, if this continues, the first impacted or the most impacted communities are going to be communities of color. And in Isa Jose, we see that every day. Um, so it, it is something that, uh, you know, we are looking at very closely. We are very much, I don't want to say afraid, but we're watching it. And there's a lot of power in this community. And that's the reason we do this work. So we can harness that power and actually work not only with decision makers, uh, but also with the community in general. So we can then address these issues and, uh, and organize for, for, for a better health care, for, to prevent gentrification, for affordable housing. So we want to make sure that we're not only addressing COVID, but we're also building and encouraging civic action for the betterment of the community. Well, speaking of focusing power, uh, we got the news earlier this week that Governor Gavin Newsom uh, actually made a little bit of history in his appointment of uh, California Secretary of State Alex Padilla, uh, who is going to fill Kamala Harris's vacated Senate seat, uh, making Alex Padilla the first Latino to hold uh, the senatorial office in California. Um, curious for your thoughts on that, Saul Ramos, and also curious, you're, you're talking about perhaps some of the ways that you would like to see people uh, forming a program uh, to move some of these ideas forward, deal with some of these problems. What would that program look like? What would you hope this co- uh, coalescence of power might translate into? I mean, what are the what are the top issues that you would really hope would get some uh, attention, uh, given the amount of you know energy that's uh, focused here right now? So first of all, I think we need to acknowledge that, uh, uh, you know, Senator uh, Padilla, you know, it's really, it's about time. It's about time. I think, you know, not having that sort of representation uh, uh, in our Senate uh, and in in him breaking this barrier, I think it's, it's really, uh, it speaks volumes about our political system, and, it, and it, speaks, it speaks volumes about the lack of representation of our community has had for for decades. So I think not only do we expect him to keep uh, his promises of making COVID his most important issue, but also uh, as, as someone who's part of of, uh, of this community, we really need to hold him accountable for him to to pave the way for other uh, members of, of our community, of, uh, of our Black brothers, of our Asian brothers, to have access to that uh, power as well. Um, so it, it's, it's not about whether it's a Latino or African-American or Asian. It's really about people of color really having access to power and being able to represent their communities as well. So this is a win for our community. And we're already seeing some um, uh, media really talking about you know, who is upset about that, you know, what group needed to be represented. But I think it's such an important thing to 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 call that this is a win for communities of color. And we need to hold our community. We, we should expect our, our leaders of, uh, uh, to, to really pave the way for other leaders to step up as well. So in terms of harnessing power, building community power, um, I think what we are hoping to accomplish is precisely to gain more 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 voice in the decision making in this community. I think uh, uh, what Jackie is doing, what the promotores are doing, um, they are not just bringing a service or just bringing hope, but they are creating lasting connections that we hope and we are sure will then guide us, guide us through their lived experience, guide guide us through their own power to serve them better. So we want community voice to be at the center of decision-making. We want community voice to dictate how do we best serve them. And we want community voice to determine what are the systems that we need in order to allow for the well-being of our children and for our future generations to, to, uh, 
to enjoy of uh, 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 you know the the benefits of this uh, uh, struggle. Um, so that's what we're hoping for. We're hoping for a future. We're hoping for for harnessing a power. We're, we're hoping for for community to be at the center of decision making as well. Well, just so people have maybe a clearer picture of uh, exactly what issues you would like to see addressed, uh, maybe both of you could uh, just tell us a little bit about what, in your view, uh, the last uh, 11 months or so have revealed uh, about the failings in our system. What what has not gone well uh, in the pandemic response and in the healthcare response? <laughs> um, I could go on like what I feel like and maybe someone can add, but I mean, very simple, like it, it might be simple, small, but I feel like it's like, whoa, we're in 2020 and there's not like translated material or like people who speak different languages at sites or, or, you know, like it was just something that I was really like surprised about, um, especially because we live in a community where lots of Spanish speakers and we also have a lot of Vietnamese speakers. So it was something that I just couldn't believe. Um, and then I would also say that the lack to insurance and healthcare is just crazy. People are always, that's the first thing they ask me, are they going to ask me for insurance if I get tested? How much is it? And I'm like, no, it's free. Um, but that concern, right? And I and I think I've lived that where I've gone, you know, for an emergency and then I get the bill later and I'm like, whoa, like, why did I go? I could have just taken Tylenol. <laughs> um, but yeah. that's what it is. People are like sick right. and just because they don't want that bill, they can't afford that bill. They're staying home and having to just deal with it on their own. And I think that's very, very um very sad and unfortunate of us, of our community, of our society. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. Of society in the 2020 that, you know, we're in the Silicon Valley, which is supposed yeah. to be like super rich, <laughs> um, that this yeah. is happening today is disappointing. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's the sort of decision that you really would hope nobody would have to make. Um, uh, Saul Ramos, anything you would add to that list? Uh, you know, I think on, on top of that, uh, unequal access to resources, poverty, um, I think COVID really tells us, you know, what the impact of poverty is. Um, and, and, and again, I think, you know, compounding the, the issue. And uh, the other piece is housing. I mean, I, we know it's been a crisis. We've talked about housing, how expensive it is. But in a pandemic and thinking about our own health, how allowing our community to live and not, or actually not, not allowing, not providing affordable and, and, and you know, dignified housing, how does, have, uh, how does that have an impact on, on, on all of us, right? So we really have to understand and think uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as a community, uh, understand that our collective well-being is the most important thing um, and really invest in, 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 you know, in, 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 in communities like, like you know, Mayfair, East San Jose, and ensure that the, the folks that need the most, that they have adequate resources to live a dignified life. So I think that is super important because now with COVID, we've seen what that does. And we don't want to be in the same position. So definitely, I agree with Jackie about the, the, uh, the, the language pieces. And also to understand that in Silicon Valley, and now I'm talking about our children who go to school, cannot have access to fast or internet, fast internet, uh, and, and really have to you know, go to, to, to the neighbors or to a restaurant or, or, or to a local business to, to be connected in Silicon Valley, in San Jose. That's crazy. That should yeah. It should not be happening. And, and the, the impact of that, and just because we're in the middle of the worst of the pandemic, you know, we really haven't uncovered that. We're going to see the impact for years to come, for years to come. And, and, and that is unconscionable. 
All right, well, such a big topic. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to do it justice today. I just feel like we're just scratching the surface. Uh, we only have a minute or so left, uh, but I do want to put one final question to Jacqueline Franco. Uh, we are hearing a lot about, obviously, the vaccine rollout, as we have the very good news that uh, two vaccines have now been approved for widespread use throughout the U.S., uh, but we're also hearing about uh, vaccine hesitancy, some doubts, some lack of trust, and uh, some of that lack of trust is also to be found in the Latino community. What can you tell us about what you're hearing from uh, the community members that you're speaking with and uh, the message that you're trying to get out to them? Yeah, I think addressing that um, that mistrust has been there for generations. Mm-hmm. Um, distrust in the government, distrust, distrust in, you know, our healthcare system. And so I think there's a lot of questions about the vaccine. Um, you know, how is it going to be distributed? What are the side effects? Um, and and I think a lot of it is going to be kind of the approach that we have taken on with COVID. It's going to be, first of all, understanding it ourselves um, and making sure that we get the information to our community um, in a fast and very clear way. And I will say that I think ultimately, right, it's not like the COVID test. We're not forcing them up on nobody. We're providing them with information and the knowledge so that they they make the decision themselves of how they want to approach that situation. Um, but yeah, working on trust, building relationships with community is going to be key for, for those vaccines. All right. Wonderful. Well, uh, really privileged to hear about all the good work that you're doing today. Uh, we really thank uh, both of you for coming on and telling us about it and uh, also for doing the work itself. It sounds like uh, uh, very rewarding, but also very demanding work. Um, uh, closing out, we have been speaking to Jacqueline Franco. She is a co-founder of the East San Jose Cooperative Meta, doing all that good work we've been talking about so far today. Uh, Jacqueline Franco, thank you so much. Thank you, Keith. Also want to give a big thank you to Saul Ramos, the Deputy Director of Somos Mayfair. Saul Ramos, thanks to you as well. Thank you for inviting us, Keith. And thank you for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. Happy holidays. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.